Welcome to WEHC 90.7. This is She Walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock, and we're talking about all kinds of ways that women can walk to freedom in every aspect of their lives. And specifically, we're talking about women in leadership. And so we are really excited today with our guest, and we hope that you will listen in. And if you have any questions or comments that you will contact us. And we want to have an amazing time. We are during Women's History Month. And so it is important to see women in crucial leadership roles. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that today, how it works and how it doesn't work. So Carly, will you introduce our guest? Yeah, so today I'm super excited for us to have my friend and colleague, Sydney Leonard here with us. Um, Sydney's a first year academic advisor at Emory and Henry College. She has a master's degree in educational leadership and policy analysis from East Tennessee State University. And she single-handedly developed an orientation program for ETSU that's still in use. And we definitely want to talk to her a little bit about that today. But I will hand it over to her to talk a little bit about herself. Hi, everyone. Happy Women's History Month. Super excited about that. As Carly said, my name is Sydney Leonard. I am fresh out of grad school um, in my very first professional position in higher education, which I'm super excited about, but also treading the water there. I am 22 years old, which may come up later. Um, very important thing to hold on to. Graduated undergrad in three years and in the middle of a pandemic was like, what else am I going to do but to go get my master's? So made sure that I could get that paid for, took that route. Uh, my concentration was student personnel administration. My main goal is to be a dean of students one day, um, which I'm super excited and hoping to strive for and getting closer and closer every day. Thank you all for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation. Already have a goal. And uh, I thought that was interesting that you're young, you said your age, and then you've done this, you've done that, you have a master's degree and you have some goals. Uh, how important uh, do you feel for women in leadership and in particular young women in leadership that it is to set goals? Um, I think thinking about Whenever I was an undergrad, I was like, okay, my goal is to graduate, like spend as the least amount of money as possible. I come from like a lower socioeconomic status, just me and my grandmother. And I was just like, okay, I got to get through this. Got to go. Don't want to spend as much money. Um, so my goal was to graduate. And originally I wanted to be a teacher and I got into a weird situation um, about reporting in the school systems and was like teaching's not my thing, ended up in housing residence life, and that kind of sparked my interest in higher education. Going off of that, I was like, well, in order to go into higher ed, I've got to get a master's, and I ended up talking to a few folks across the country about higher education leadership and what that meant for me. Um, I got to talking to a few of the um, administrators at the time at my undergraduate institution, and I settled on ETSU. Once I got there, I was like, okay, what do I want to do? And I thought about how most of my mentors that I had were dean of students or associate dean of students or assistant dean of students, and they were all male. And then I got to my position or my program at ETSU. Um, I ended up doing the master's component has a field research in action thing that they require you to do. And most people write a paper. I chose to do an internship where I hadn't had much experience, like hands-on experience. And I had the pleasure of working with um, Dr. Leah Adanolfi, who is the Associate Dean of Students at East Tennessee State University. Um, and just seeing 
finally getting to see a woman in a position like that was so cool for me. And the way that she's involved on campus activities is the way that I was involved as a student in the way that you have multiple fingers and multiple pies and you're doing everything and there are lots of moving pieces and parts. So I wouldn't necessarily say I originally had that goal, but there was actually a course component in one of my classes called interpersonal relationships that I did where you had to weigh what was an objective and what was a goal. And one of my objectives was graduate from my master's program with a specific GPA, get an internship. But my goal was ultimately, how do these things look to bring me to be a dean of students? And having that hands-on experience with that internship is what really helped me. And I think that it's important for women to have goals and to set goals specifically because I had all of these stumbling blocks along the way where I was like, okay, I've never seen a woman in a leadership position like this before. Can I really do it? Like, is it meant for me? Or getting into the program and running into being the youngest person in my cohort and trying to figure out what my place was. And I noticed in one of my first classes that my final presentation for a class wasn't what I thought it wasn't what the professor was looking for, but it was because people were 40 and 50 years old and had all of these life experiences in higher ed and they were using it as like a mid-career degree. So I really struggled to find my place, but I always honed in on like, what do I want to do? What is a specific thing that I am looking for, that I'm going for, that I'm striving for, I'm reaching for? And that's why I want to be a dean of student. I, so I know (laughs) from working with you, that you are very driven, you're very goal-oriented, you're very sure of yourself, um, you're very confident, and you are also on the younger side of of our team, you're on the younger side of, you know, I know you're involved in a few things like through Nakata, and you're on like something there, and you're the youngest person in that group, and we've talked about ageism on this show um, in the past as far as like older women and the the challenges that older women experience. But I definitely think there is a lot of challenges that younger women experience, right? And so I want to hear a little bit about, you know, your experience as a very career-driven young woman. Are you running up against roadblocks? Are you being treated differently due to your age? Um, So I have had probably five or six interviews, I would say, since April of last year, April of 2021. Um, I graduated from my master's program in December of 2021, so I was like mid-degree, which a lot of people that are going for their master's often have mid-degree professional positions, and you learn how applicable your program is to your position and all of that, but in my very first interview for an academic advisor position, that was actually like the administrator in charge of that was an older woman. She pulled me into the interview under the assumption that I was interviewing to be an academic advisor, which a lot of us know that's a stepping stone position for higher education, you know, a very good entry level job. And then started interviewing me about being an executive aide for their department. And I said, that's not what you brought me in under. And the salary was like $15,000 less than what I went in thinking I was going to be offered, you know? And I said, I thought I was being interviewed for an academic advisor position. She said, well, back in December of 2020, you applied for an executive aid position for another department. So we need you for that. And I said, no, that's not what I want to do. 
And I said, I want to be an academic advisor. I'm working on my master's. That's what I want to do. And she said, well, Sydney, I think you're a little young to be an academic advisor. And that really set me back. I was like, um, no. And I think that students would benefit from near peer leadership. And that's one thing that I've been pushing um, a lot with my age and just my experience that I've had. And I'm a first generation college student from a lower socioeconomic status. So I'm like, I have a lot to offer. I've got a lot to bring to the table and I can show you my transcript. Like I'm completely qualified to be here. I'm not sure why you're telling me I can't, you know, and application after application after application. I know that people see my date of birth and they're like, no, we can't have her here, you know? And I ended up where I am now. And I'll be honest, most of it is because of who I knew. Like I knew every single person with the exception of one that was on my interview panel for the job that I'm currently in. All of them knew me as a student. And I had one person after my interview message me and say, wow, Sydney, you've grown so much since the last time that I saw you here as a student. You were just so wonderful. And it's really cool to see how much you've grown. And one thing that I've really run into now is like those same people that praised me whenever I first came into the position of you learned so much in your master's program, you've done this, this, and this, still see me as that same 18 year old that walked in the door on day one, which is kind of something that I'm starting to like get a little frustrated with, but it's again, one of those obstacles that you kind of have to cross. So it's a balance of like being a student, like a young female student and going through life and then transitioning into that professional world and kind of getting that wake up call of like, oh, well, you can't be as involved as you were in college and still do well in the workforce is kind of what I'm feeling now, which is a little difficult. It's hard to understand. I wonder, Sydney, if um, uh, when you were saying that, I, I, I was seeing a, a male with a nice jacket on, possibly a bow tie or something, doing the same thing that you're doing in the same place that you're doing it. And they, and people seeing that as up and coming, you know, as that th- we've got this real real smart guy, this smart dude that knows his stuff. And we want to, he's, he's under our eye. We're watching him because we want to put him on the fast track, but that fast track is not often afforded to women uh, who, who have the same, the same skill set. So while you were saying that, I thought about that. And then I thought also, you know, that's one of the challenges is, is there's some things in academia, obviously where we work is not one of them, but there are some places where they don't seek to hire people who came from here for some of the reasons that you just said. You know, some people will not hire their own and some people have policies that says they will not hire their own for that reason. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not trying to make a statement on that at all, but I do know that it, it has the, the kinds of effects that you're saying. People knew you when. And, you know, your need is to know people to know you now and know what you've done. And you shouldn't have to try to figure out how to prove yourself. But as women, often in leadership, we are constantly having to prove our worth and prove our value. And, you know, that kind of goes with the territory. And sometimes it's disconcerting to be, and I can only imagine to be young. I was trying to rifle through my head when I first started my career and, and, and I, I remembered an incident in particular where I had a clerical support. I was 22. I was working for the federal government and I had a clerical support who did not want to directly report to me 
because I was a little girl as far as she was concerned. And she spent all of her time trying to tell me that I shouldn't be her boss and I shouldn't be in that position. I mean, I hope that's not happening to you and won't happen to you, especially, you know, here as part of our, our staff and, and our faculty. But those things are real, what you're saying. And, and they are real before you were born years ago. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell my age like Sydney did, but, but I can tell you this. The incident that I'm talking about happened before Sydney was born, if that gives you any idea. And I was 22 at, at the time, you know. So, yeah. I'd like to hear a little bit more about your program. I think Carly and I said that was one of the one of the key things that we wanted to hear about. And I, I really want to say this. Carly and I have both met Dr. Adenoffi. And I'll speak for me, but I thought she was amazing. I thought she was gifted. I thought she was talented. I thought she had passion. I thought she had everything that anybody would need, quote unquote, to be a dean of student. Now, that's just me. And that's not, not taking away from who our current dean of student by any stretch of the imagination, but she had some really good gifts. So I can imagine working with her that you had an opportunity to soar and you had an opportunity to fly. So I'd love to hear about that program. And, and again, I don't want to speak for Carly, but I, I met, and I had a, a little a connection with, with Dr. Adenoffi. Her daughter was in my youth program at uh, University of Tennessee oh, at the cool. Wesley Foundation. Yeah. So it was like old home week. I was like, oh, this is Sarah's mom, you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah, but besides her being Sarah's mom, she was really impressive. Well, one thing that I wanted to touch on before we kind of escalate into the orientation program is Sharon, you had brought up feeling like you have to prove yourself in a work environment, especially as like a woman in general and a young woman. Um, I remember when I went into my interview for my current position, I was wearing a like really nice plaid pair of trousers that were navy with like yellow and gray stripes on them knowing that you know if you're going to interview at an institution you always appeal to the colors and all of that stuff and I wore like a plain shirt under it like blouse under it with a blazer and I they give you like 15 minute break in between interview panels and stuff and I came back in from coming from going to the restroom and I overheard some of the interview panel saying, you know, outfits have changed since we had our first one. And I knew that it was because I wasn't wearing a dress, you know, mm. and I'm not a dress person. I'm a pretty big girl. I don't, I don't do dresses. Not my thing. Never has been, never will be. So I do pants and a blazer a lot of times. And, and I know I'm not the only one in my office that does that. And I, I just prefer pants and I always feel powerful when I put on a blazer. So for me to overhear that was like, Oh, okay. You know, and some of the people that said that are people that I often see in blazers and pants. <laughs> I'm like, how do you see that as being like it was kind of a jab at like my professionalism you know just because I was wearing pants and you know you see how many suits when you walk through Belk or JC Penny of for men that are solid color blazers and like a funky pattern pant you know and that's not okay like if you wear a funky funky pattern tie or funky colored tie but I'm not wearing a dress like why does that make me any less professional than you so that was something interesting I wanted to bring up because whenever I started my position my boyfriend's mom and his grandmother took me shopping for work clothes and 
she said, you always have to walk into the room as a young woman being the most professionally dressed so they know that you're meant to be there. And she's in a very high level position with a big business in the area. And she was like, you always have to like make sure that they know that you're supposed to be there. And I was like, if they don't know that I'm supposed to be here, then I don't need to be here. They don't need me, you know. I will not give them the right for me to be a part of their team just because of the way I'm dressed, you know, and that, that just something that bothers me so bad (laughs) is that I feel like I need to prove myself that I'm supposed to be there just by the way that I'm dressed. And we have our little gold plated name tags at work. And I, anytime I'm in a situation where I have to talk to students and parents, I'm like, where's my name tag? Because then I know, even if I'm wearing an Emory polo or something that's embroidered and a skirt or a pair of pants or something, that they're going to look at me like I'm a student or a student worker. And they always talk down to me, like I'm not supposed to be the person helping them, you know? I think, Sydney, I think that's age. And, and I think it's also a woman. And then you, I, I don't like to bring my my dead horse to the to the race every time, but being black, you know, any of the other intersectional variables, you're looked at like that, and it doesn't change. And that's unfortunate that we still work in an environment where it will not change over time, or let me say, it hasn't changed over time. We're we're here, all three of us from different decades, and we're still probably, I'll speak collectively, but we're still trying to prove our worth and prove our value. And that sometimes is always attributed to people who identify as women because of patriarchy and because of our society and who our leadership is, and especially in academia. Leadership in academia is male. It's male dominant, and it doesn't seem to change. And, uh, you know, we still have women in support positions, but men are still dominant and are, are the ones who are still being hired. And so they're still calling the shots. Yeah. And Sydney, when you were telling your story, it made me think like, oh, what was I wearing in my interview? And I was wearing a skirt. And I usually, and I, I wear skirts occasionally, but I much prefer pants. And I have a bit of a unique style anyway. And sometimes I feel like I definitely have to tone that down when I'm at work because it's like, oh, it may not be seen as professional or whatever. And you do have to, I think that kind of goes back with that code switching piece, which we've talked a little bit about, because yes, you code switch in the way that you speak, but you also code switch in the way that you dress and the way you present yourself. And as women, you are expected to fit this idea of what a professional woman is supposed to look like, speak like, present like, and it can be exhausting and it cannot really fit who you are. Yeah. By the same token though, that doesn't always apply to men. Right. Because men can come dressed however they want to. And their maleness is the entree, not what they have on. So they can come, you know, looking any kind of way and they still have that authority. But the same is not true for women. Yeah. Well, I know we're running out of time. And Cindy, we do want to hear about your program because it's value added. But we're running out of time. So tell us something. Yeah, of course. So, um, During, I would say, December of 2019 into January, uh, well, that's a lot, December of 2020 into January 2021, none of these years even make sense anymore, (laughs) the Executive Council at East Tennessee State University kind of put together an idea of well, maybe our second year or our current first year students didn't get the same access to other resources that a lot of other students did as they come into the institution. And at ETSU, 
their orientation program, it's called Preview, is huge. It'll be on the news. They give away hundreds of thousands of free things. It's a big time for students to come and get involved on campus and get acclimated to the community. Um, and those students didn't get that. Um, so they thought, let's figure out what we can do for second year students. And they handed that idea to Dr. Adonolfi and they said, Leah, take this. Here's what you're going to do. And she was asked to hire a graduate assistant. At the time, I was working as a graduate assistant for the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at East Tennessee State University. I was doing some research on COVID-19 and politics, and I had started to get a little bit bogged down and reviewing Excel sheets and was kind of looking for something new. I'm super interested in student activities, so that was something that I was kind of looking for. And my graduate academic advisor was like, Sydney, I think you should look into this internship opportunity. And I interviewed in February of 2021 and was hired in March of 2021 to be one of two graduate assistants um, for that program. And we referred to it as that program for God knows how long until we came up with the name for it. Uh, but we interviewed probably close to 25 different institutions and researched different schools about what we were going to name this to be able to be appealing to our second year students and to be able to prove to other people that like this is something that needs to happen. So it ended up being grant funded. Um, we called it the second year transitional experience program, um, STEP for short. I was super excited about it um, as we continued past the brainstorming process. Um, it ended up becoming something that we could kind of just lump everything into, I guess. So we provided students a lot of academic and social resources. And in our pre-survey, one thing that we actually asked is one, how much do you as a student feel academic belonging at the institution? And two, how much do you, you as a student feel social belonging at the institution? Um, rather than being just a normal orientation program like you do with first year students, we really pushed intentionality behind everything. Like we made sure that we gave students a punch card whenever they went into the student activities and organizations fair. So they were looking for student organizations and activities that appealed to their character or what they were interested in, things like that. So it was, it became really important that we push that intentionality. And we had about 280 students sign up, I think. We ended up like all sign up things, we ended up with about 40 students um, toward the end that actually showed up to everything and participated and stuff like that. But it was under the direction of Dr. Leah Adonolfi, like what I was saying, and she pretty much sat me and the other graduate student down and was like, it's up to you all. Like, I don't have a lot of time to dedicate to this. That's why we hired graduate students and not undergraduate students. What can you do? Her husband actually surprised her with a trip to Rome midsummer while we were planning, which was super exciting for her. And I was super excited, but she was like, okay, we got a lot of stuff to get done. So um, she gave us a list of things to get done. There were about 270 things on that list. No, 240 things on that list. And she was like, I want the two of you to go through and put your initials by every single thing in this list that you're willing to do. If you're willing to do these things, after you get them done, highlight them green. But I need the majority of these things done on this list by the time I get back in two weeks. 
So I was like, as soon as we left that meeting, I was in that spreadsheet. I was highlighting things green. I was making room reservations. I was reaching out to people. I was making flyers. I was making cards, name tags, you name it. I did it. And after that two weeks was over, we sat down in a meeting and Dr. Adenolfi was like, okay, what all have y'all done? And she saw my name and all the things highlighted green. And she was like, she looked over at the other graduate student and was like, where's your initials? What have you done? And he said, oh, well, I just looked at it and nothing had been done. And she was like, oh my God. So she was like, Sydney, go home. (laughs) So I went home, but I was stressing out about everything else that was on that list to get done. So I started doing other things and I knew he was working from the top of the list. So I just assumption he was working from the top of the list. So I started working from the bottom and I ended up doing half of the work that he was supposed to do. And it was because I was stressed out that my name was on this program and that it needed to be 100% perfect. And I'm a perfectionist and I like to be in control and I want everything to go well. But I had already been interviewed by the newspaper for this program. I did, not him, not Dr. Adenolfi. I was interviewed about this program. They took my picture. I knew that that meant business. So I was very stressed out about what that looked like. And Dr. Adenolfi sat down with me and was like, Sydney, you are doing absolutely everything you can. Like you are a wonderful graduate assistant. Like you're doing really great work. And once the program ended up coming into fruition, I was the one that stayed and worked it. The other graduate intern showed up maybe two hours a day and it was an all day thing. And this was also me working half of my time at Emory and half of my time at ETSU. So I would leave, I would work eight to four at Emory with no lunch, leave, go to ETSU, drive that hour, work from five to 11.30 PM, clean up everything, and then do it all again the next day. And I did that for four days straight and it was rough. But I knew that I was the one that was like busting my butt to show up and show out whenever the other graduate intern wasn't doing that. And we were in the same program, same credit for the class, same payment that we were making, and I was doing all of the work. So it was a really great program. Really awesome. Got a lot of coverage. I actually met a student last week. Um, My boyfriend's the president of ETSU's Gaming Communities Club. And a student actually came from Mario Kart Tournament last week. And she remembered me from Step. So it was really cool because this is almost a full year later. And I was still being remembered for something cool that I did that one time. So that was really cool. I mean, that is amazing. And I think that ownership that you took of that program is very like, that's the way that women tend to lead, right? We tend to take ownership of what we're doing. And if our name is on it, then we're going to be there. And I think that you've definitely proved that with your experience for sure. And had you not been able to do it, the stress level that you were experiencing note duly noted that the male, your male colleague was not feeling it. and wasn't really caring, you know, and, and, and that, that's not, I don't want to slam men because that's not every male, but in that situation, just how you approached it, you approached it with the seriousness of doing the job. And, and one of the things we, I know we're out of time, way out of time. Carly's giving me the signal to end us, but even (laughs) even with pay, even with pay, you know, we think we're going to get paid because of the work that we do. And men just ask for more pay. 
you know, and uh, there's a research book that's called Say No or Why I Say Yes. I can't remember the name of it right now because we're hurried, but what you just said, you took it serious. You worked, you did it, all of that. And the other guy did not, and it didn't matter. But if you were going for a real job with anyone other than someone like Dr. Adenoffi, they would look at men and then they would potentially hire men at a different rate because they need to take care of their families, quote unquote, than they do women. So, and you could still do all the work and still not get the pay that goes with it or the position. Yeah. It was, it was a very interesting process to see like how, what the response was to me versus what the response was to him. And we had to do weekly discussion boards of what we were doing in our programs and stuff. And he was always reporting like all of these awesome, great things that he was doing in this program, but they weren't things that he did. They were things that were happening in our program, but it was things that I did that they were happening, but he was reporting them as like, these are the great things I'm doing in this program. And everyone was praising him in this discussion board for him. And I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna blow a gasket. <laughs> And you ought to try to work in a working environment like that. I've had situations where I worked in a working environment like that, and it's really stressful. It's one of those added stressors for women because our voices are taken, our agency is often taken, and credit for the things we do is taken. That is the truth. Well, this has been an incredible conversation, and we always say that we don't have enough time, and we never do, but we will definitely have Sydney back with us to continue this conversation and talk more about her experiences and the experiences that, you know, we have as women leaders. And um, I just want to remind everyone that we are in Women's History Month, so please make sure you're keeping an eye on the Emory & Henry website for upcoming events for Women's History Month, and we hope to see you all at those events. And another thank you to Sydney for being with us today and as always Reverend Bowers my wonderful co-host and we will see you all next week thank you all so much Pass of the victory we shall walk.